Hello and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Tom Harris and I'm joined here by Paco Pollock for a very special World Cup preview episode where we'll be covering all things Selección on the eve of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Paco and I are very excited to dive into some of Luis Enrique's selection headaches because there are quite a few of them going into this tournament and we'll discuss last night's 3-1 win over Jordan in part one before we welcome two very special guests in part two to preview our German and Japanese opponents in Group E. And we'll also be covering Costa Rica in more detail in our next podcast, which will be out on Monday. But first, Paco, how are you doing? And, and did you manage to catch a game last night? Uh, yes, actually, actually, I was able to see uh, live the second half. The first half, I, I was doing, you know, other stuff and, and you know, I missed the opener. Um, but yeah, later I saw... You know, Spain being far superior to the to the opposition, obviously a friendly against Jordan. It isn't really a, a a real test, you know, in order to to see how mighty the Spanish national squad might be a couple of days before the the World Cup kick starting. But yeah, overall, I, I saw the team being quite you know in form in many ways, even though that last you know, mistake at the back was uh, a bit of a disappointment, but. Many tests being performed by Luis Enrique, uh, Raya at the back playing as, a, as the keeper. I don't know. I think he's, he's not going to have any chances uh, in the World Cup. But yeah, overall, I, I, I like the, um, the youthful approach by Luis Enrique and the squad in order to face this, this last, uh, you know, days before the, the, the upcoming and pending uh, World Cup debut against uh, Costa Rica. Overall, it was a good test, but, you know, we shouldn't analyse or overanalyze it further than that. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I was just going to say, you know, we can't read into it too much, but the performances of the likes of Gavi and Nico Williams, who, who scored again, showed real hunger. And, you know, is that encouraging for you that ahead of the World Cup, we've got so many young players who are, you know, really hungry, really wanted to get involved and could actually, you know, make an impact off the bench, perhaps? I was the the I was a big fan of that of of seeing how the the scorers were overall uh, very young players Ansu Fati, Gabi, Nico Williams. We were talking about 20, 21, 22 years old uh, in in their case, and 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 that's great news for Spain because at the end of the day, one of the defining traits of this national squad is that we are not really counting on a true pure number nine. Uh, in this tournament. Yeah, you're taking uh, Alvaro Morata uh, with you, but at the end of the day, you're counting on those number 10s, those uh, wingers and uh, those, you know, offensive midfielders to be able to um, bring in the goals that your number nine isn't going to score. Uh, ultimately, it's very similar to what Luis Enrique did back in the day with uh, Barca and, um, you know, the lack of a pure number nine. Uh, in his tenure as as the manager, uh, ultimately Messi was was placed over there as the number nine, as as Guardiola did back in the day, and that kind of uh, you know place that has been evolving uh, lately. And we saw when uh, he made his speaks for the twenty six man squad that he was going to give up on that. You are not uh, you know taking with you Borja Iglesias, who would be a, a traditional number nine. You are not taking with you. Uh, you know, other players who can um, bring in the goals in that sense of being the the, the last touch player uh, in order to finish the play. You're going to um, try to push forward more elaborate plays, uh, starting from the back, not really having a, a, a real clinical finisher in front. And that's why that's going to be the, the make or break um, 
point for, for Spain overall this tournament. If they are able to score, if we are able to score in that sense with ease from the beginning, from the first game, I think that the confidence is going to go through the roof and, and that will ultimately be noticed in, in, in games which are going to be played further in the future against, for example, Germany or, or Japan late in the in the group stage. But if in the first game we find it difficult to score and we find it difficult to finish the the good runs and the good plays that we are definitely going to have, maybe the doubts would arise and they're going to make things much more difficult. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, I was going to ask you that, you know, we, we've got some great previews of Germany and Japan in part two, and we do kick off a campaign against Costa Rica, who, who mm. we're going to talk a bit more in depth on Monday. Uh, Oscar Duarte at the heart of that defence, somebody you'll know well, Paco. Yeah. But obviously playing the lowest seeded side first, you know, in the group, while one of Germany and Japan, you know, will drop points. Do you see that opener, as you just said, as a great chance to get a real head start on the group? And do you think that's an advantage to Spain? That opener is going to be crucial in my in my view, and I'm a bit worried about uh, you know people talking about not really taking it as seriously as the game against Germany or Japan. Ultimately, you need to go for the nine out of nine if you really want to avoid any kind of trouble. And um, we have been listening lately in the last couple of days to some pundits talking about how Costa Rica are going to be, you know, far inferior to Spain, they are not going to have the ball, they are going to be very defensive overall and ultimately that kind of attitude only brings you trouble uh, along the road. So I think that Spain should take 100% very seriously this game. It is true that if you see the way these squads are going to play, you could say that you would have Costa Rica uh, in one, uh, you know, in one extreme of, of a uh, of a line of, of ball possession, for example, you could see that Germany is going to be exactly the opposite. Germany is going to try to battle the ball possession with Spain and will try to dominate. And you would have uh, halfway the, the Japanese side, which, uh, by the way, traditionally Spain has always had some trouble with um, Asian sides. We saw that back in the day in uh, uh, South Korea in 2002, in that knock uh, knockout in the in the quarterfinals so I, I wouldn't be so uh you know confident against against japan and would take 100 percent that game very very seriously so overall the play styles are going to be are going to have to be different if you want to overall dominate and have the the control of all of these three games but the uh, way spain tackles all of these three um uh, sides is going to be very different in in the first in the first one I think that the the main issue should be and the main worry should be to take it as seriously as possible because starting with a big momentum and a you know a, a big triumph three nil four nil would be a big statement towards the rest of the of the teams in the in the group and it's also going to give you a a, a great start ahead talking about the goals in favor. So overall, even though I think Luis Enrique is going to have quite a few changes in the starting lineup against Costa Rica, and later he will regress back to his uh, proper starting 11 against Germany, which is going to be the first real example of what he really wants from Spain. I think that the mentality in all of these three games should be 100% focused and 100% serious because you cannot really uh, get distracted in a, in a World Cup. 
Yeah, of course. And I mean, if, looking back at Costa Rica, they were famous obviously eight years ago for topping that group with Uruguay, Italy and England. They beat yeah. Uruguay, they beat Italy and they only really lost that on penalties to the Netherlands in the quarterfinals. So obviously this was a long time ago and, and largely the same squad if you look at it. Brian Ruiz is still playing, John yeah. is still the main striker and Oscar Duarte, as we mentioned in the defence. So very interesting. We're going to have to take them very seriously. Um, I just wanted to ask you about Ansu Fati as well, because for me, it feels like he's flying into this tournament slightly under the radar. And I've, I've been looking at some of the statistics this season. So he's he's averaging 1.09 expected goals and expected assists per 90, which is more than anybody in Europe this season. Mm-hmm. In a 90-minute game, he's creating more chances. He's getting into those positions more often than the likes of Haaland, Mbappe, Lewandowski, Neymar. Obviously, he's you know he's playing with limited minutes and he doesn't look as clinical as he has been. But the fact he's getting into those positions, you know, do you think it, it's primed for a, a good World Cup for him? And do you think, obviously, as you said before, just taking Morata, one central striker, could Fatty play a role as a kind of supporting striker for Morata when maybe substitutions are made later on? Definitely, because uh, Luis Enrique has plenty of faith in 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 the kid, um, and actually in the months. Uh, ramping up to the to the last um, you know uh, squad that Luis Enrique was going to um, to produce only a couple of weeks ago, Ansu Fati was like the biggest question mark, and and most of the of the Spanish uh, coaches and collaborators uh, to Luis Enrique were talking about his his potential and the fact that uh, if he is fit in the World Cup, if he is hundred uh, percent already recovered in the World Cup. He's going to be a, a massive weapon uh, for us, and and they have been following him very, following him very very closely uh, with Barca. The way he he recovered from his injury, slowly getting back into the into the lineup, um, slowly getting trickling in the goals. Even though he isn't uh, in the same level as he was like a couple of seasons ago, but I think eventually he might come back to that kind of level. And Luis Enrique wants to really take advantage of that and try to make it to happen um, at the same at the same time to make uh, Ansu Fati's level to be really uh, as as uh, important as he was back in the day in uh, uh, in Barca. To um, by the way, we're having a breaking a breaking news right now. And this is very, very, very heartbreaking for uh, Valencia. Uh, we're going to talk about Jose Luis Gaya in a second, but we had it just confirmed that Gaya is leaving the the national team squad because of his injury. And uh, yeah, I think it is heartbreaking for for Gaya. But yeah, closing on in, in Ansu Fati, I think he's going to he's going to start quite a lot of games, and he should, by the way, because because he's in a level where the only way for him to keep improving and keep becoming important is to play him from the beginning and just let him lose on on the on the opposition and try to make him as to feel as important as he should be. Yeah, it definitely feels like it could be a big tournament for Ansu Fati and you know just his reputation on a global scale because we've got to remember he's still twenty years old. He's still got plenty of time ahead of him. Yeah, as you just mentioned, horrible news there for Jose Luis Gaia. Um, he picked up that injury. Was it in training or was it in the... Um, I think it was in training, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll miss the World Cup, which is such a shame. Um, looking at the left-backs who could come in to replace him, are we, are we looking at Alex Moreno of, of Real Betis? Do you think he'll be the favourite to come in? 
Alex Moreno and, and Valde. They are going to be the two, you know, the the two biggest um, the biggest options for uh, Luis Enrique. But yeah, I'm trying to just process the the blow for Spain because it's not only for the player. I think Spain is going to miss uh, Jose Luis Gaia in a number of ways uh, because of the everything he brought to the table in terms of defense, in terms of gravitas, in terms of uh, I don't know. He's very very confident on the back. He's become a, a huge player for Valencia. He's become very important for the Spanish national team. So uh, this is a big blow for for Spain. I'm I'm not really sure the way you know having a last minute addition for for the squad is going to replace him. But ultimately, I think that it's the moment for Jordi Alba to step up. And uh, I think he was going to be the the starter in that first game against Costa Rica. But but at this point. He should have many chances of playing all both uh, all three games in the group stage because of this of this absence. Yeah, massively unfortunate, and of course, our thoughts go out to Jose Luis Gaia, who would have been a very special occasion for him. Um, but yeah, just before we we head off to uh, the ad break, Paco, I've got some statistics for you here um, about Luis Enrique and the Spain squad. He's lost just four of his last 24 competitive international games. One of those on penalties to Italy in the in the Euro 2021 semi-finals. One of them in the Nations League final to France when Mbappe and Benzema scored right at the last minute. Also, an amazing stat: they've had 60% possession or more in all of their last 28 competitive games mm-hmm. since 59% against Germany. That was the last time they didn't have 60 and above. And obviously, with the heat of Qatar, having the ball could be so important. So. With all of that said, and Enrique's kind of underrated national team record, is there a quiet chance? Do you do you believe her, Paco, or are you are you going to stay cagey and you know see how it goes? Uh, I think that Spanish uh, fans should be highly demanding of this squad. Ultimately, you might like all of the twenty-six players being um, called by Luis Enrique. You might like the playstyle. You might like the. Uh, you know the the attitude of the of the very young squad, but if you don't, you must leave everything aside because uh, this is our team. You know, if you are a Spanish football fan, you have to be hundred percent on board with this team. If Spain gets knocked out, we will have eventually the time to you know overly criticize. Not in my case, but maybe other fans to criticize and to be uh, very uh, you know nasty towards. Maybe Spain not scoring, maybe uh, Spain being unable to play, maybe Spain uh, not being up to the challenge, whatever. But meanwhile, I think that everyone should be on board with this team because definitely they have the drive, they have the hunger and you must think about uh, Luis Enrique as their totemic leader in this case because he has been trying to bring all of the attention towards him very Mourinho style in some sense, you know, in, in some of the ways he has been doing this with all of the, you know, streaming stuff. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, and I think that uh, the confidence should be there because Spain has shown that when they are in a in a good place, they are able to beat everyone and play against everyone. So overall, the confidence is high in my case, at least. But it's true that it's going to be very tough. At the end of the day, you have to beat everyone if you want to win a World Cup. And uh, in my case, I think that the best, um, you know, the best uh, sign over here is that 
12 years have passed from the last World Cup where Spain dominated and 10 years have passed from that last uh, championship for Spain in the in the European 2012 uh, victory. So it, we're talking about a full generation. Mo all of those players have retired. Uh, Sergio Ramos is still playing, but regardless, all of them are not in this national squad. So we could say as... Uh, I talked to Carlos Marchena a couple of weeks ago. He was a um, Euro 2008 winner, a World Cup winner in 2012 and, he's, and 2010. And he said that most of the players came to those tournaments virgin in some senses, that they didn't really know how to win. Okay, And when they learned how to do that, it became easier. But the hunger and the drive wasn't the same. And that was possibly one of the reasons for Spain's demise in the 2014 Brazil World Cup. So 10 years have gone by and these guys are completely different. These guys have grown with the example of their veterans. They have grown with one star already in their chest because of the World Cup conquered in 2010. And they want to get to that level. They aspire to climb up to the top of the hill and get to that level in that sense and i think that the the passion that they are going to bring to the table and the motivation is going to be absolutely uh, unmatched so yeah definitely in my case i'm very supportive of spain i'm very confident uh of the level of this of this team i only have the doubts regarding the you know the ability to score because we are not um carrying with us a real you know definite number nine but if we leave that aside, I think that we can do a very, very good job over in in Qatar. Maybe we are talking in a couple of weeks and I'm mad as hell because we have failed to do it. But at this point, I need to be optimistic because I really think that these guys can do it. Absolutely amazing. Well, thank you so much, Paco, for all your insight today. Um, you know, obviously here at La Liga Lowdown, we'll be providing you the best analysis and coverage here on our podcast and on our Twitter as well. So make sure you give us a follow and keep a keep an ear out for all of our upcoming podcasts. But thanks again, Paco, and, and we'll see you all again in part two. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to part two of this World Cup preview episode here on the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Tom Harris and after speaking with Paco about Luis Enrique's men, we're now going to switch our attention to some of our opposition, starting with the huge nation that joined Spain in Group E at this 2022 World Cup. We're delighted to welcome German football expert Adam Kahn to the show to discuss four-time winners Germany, now under the management of two-time Bundesliga and Champions League winner Hansi Flick. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I just wanted to start by asking for your general thoughts on the 26-man squad and, and whether there are any players that you thought were perhaps unfortunate to miss out. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's as always, of Germany, a very talented squad. I think you see from top to bottom how there's a lot of quality in there. There's, of course, some positions that we'll probably get onto a bit later where they still have some weaknesses that Spain, Japan, and then all this group could probably expose. But all in all, a very good squad. And if you have to talk about the big omissions, it's obviously, of course, Tony Cruz after his international retirement. That's one that we, we knew about for quite some time, although Germany were, of course, trying to get him back into the into the run-in. Um, further out the pitch, you have Marco Reus and Timo Werner, two players that, if not starters, would definitely have been players who have gotten game time at the World Cup. They're both out with injuries. And I think that center back, you, of course, have Mats Hummels, who... Okay, he isn't necessarily a player who's at the very top of his game when you look at the career he's had, but since returning to Dortmund in 2019, he's probably playing the best football. And yeah, it's it's a surprise to not see him in the squad, specifically given just how young it is. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, sadly for us La Liga fans, Tony Kroos has been absolutely unbelievable this season, and it's a real shame that he's retired early from international duty, but. We do know about Antonio Rudiger, who's probably one of the players in contention to take Mats Hummel's spot. And Marc-Andre Testegen, who's been performing very well, actually, for Barcelona this season, but obviously remains to be seen whether he gets in ahead of Manuel Neuer. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, some of the other players we should maybe be looking out for and if there are any potential danger men that us, you know, as La Liga fans might not have seen too much of this season. Yeah, I think that there's obviously some names that everybody will know. The likes of Jamal Muziala, of course, a fantastic young talent who's really come into his own for, for Bayern Munich this season. Also, I mean, this entire Bayern squad who makes up the core of this side. You look at Leroy Sané, who's taking it up a next level. Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretz, so that's your real pivot there. Your two bots-to-bot central midfielders that are kind of the axis of the squad. And yeah, overall, throughout the team, there's a lot of players who, who are really interesting players who are at the very top of their game also. And yeah, it should be a squad that we're not necessarily sure if they'll all come together, but the individual pieces have a lot of excitement to to hold. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question, actually, because obviously we're quite used to seeing Yugi Love as the Germany manager. It's now Hansi Flick. Um, and, you know, look, just looking quickly through their games, it seems as if they, they play in a 4-2-3-1. Um, are there many, you know, major changes from the Yogi Love era? What's Hansi Flick's team's playing like, and is there any maybe tactical trends that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I think that primarily it's just the playing squad that's really changed from from Flick to, to the Love era. You look at, as I mentioned, Hummels not being there and Cruz not being there, but also someone like Jerome Boateng, of course, who, who is a pretty formidable part of this national team. He hasn't been part of it for quite some time, and. 
yeah, this new breed that's coming through, the likes of Musiala, Mukuku, Armel Belakotchev, those are all youngsters who will be at the World Cup, but then even some that won't necessarily be there, like a Florian Wirtz, for example, who's just coming back from a cruciate injury, but yeah, is probably at least in the top 10 best U21 talents in the world when fit. So yeah, primarily it's just a playing squad that has changed and Hansi Flick and Löw, as, as you probably have seen before, Hansi Flick was actually Löw's assistant from 2016 all the way through that 2014 World Cup victory. So both of them have a lot of the same identity in possession, out of possession, and there hasn't necessarily been a huge amount of structural change when we look at how the national team want to approach the game and in what formation they do so. Fantastic. And yeah, just, just having a look through that squad again, somebody who's caught my eye is uh, Yusuf Mokoku, who could become the second youngest ever goal scorer at the World Cup if he does manage to get a goal. I mean, I think he's 18 to the day on, on the first day of a World Cup. Um, so that's absolutely remarkable. You know, what What does he bring to this squad? And, and do you think he'll be given a chance to, to break that unbelievable record? Yeah, he's a really important asset given that, of course, Timo Werner's injured. So Germany were always looking for, for a number nine who could be a reliable goal scorer. And it's even more so now that Timo Werner has dropped down. There's yet another player who could potentially fill those boots that, that isn't available. And yeah, Yusufa Makuku is just a real wild card. I mean, he's, he's extremely unpredictable. He's got a really raw aspect to his game. He goes in for shots from, from crazy angles, but it's almost what you need from, from a young player like that, and especially given that Mukuku is unlikely to start matches, but maybe come on the last 20, 30 minutes. So with his pace, with his dynamism, with his drive for goal, he can be that X factor to yeah, turn a turn a nil-nil or, or even a defeat into, into something more manageable. Yeah, I think it's fascinating as well that two of the biggest nations in the tournament, Spain and Germany, and when they do go head-to-head, -head, you know, we might have the likes of Gavi, 18 years old yeah. on the pitch, Mokoko, 18, obviously Ansu Fati, who we've been talking about earlier on the podcast. There's a lot of young talent even in these really big nations. So just wanted to ask quickly if you had any predictions for the game, obviously coming from you know, the German background, are you, are you backing Germany to, to make any dents in this group and perhaps progress ahead of Spain or instead of Spain, or, or how do you see it going? Yeah, I think this is a really difficult group here because I think that, of course, you have Germany and Spain. They're the ones that are going to garner a lot of attention. But I see Japan as a real, real danger for, for both Spain and Germany, specifically when we look at Japan and the pace that they have on the wings, the attacking talent they have, and Germany's issues at fullback and wingback and, and, and also defensively as a centre-back parent. You have, of course, Antonio Rudiger, who's one of the best centre-backs in the world. But... Next to him, there is a bit of a drop-off. Niklas Sula isn't at the top of his form. Niklas Schlotterbert's very error-prone. Bela Kocev is probably too young to come into that rotation just yet. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of trouble to be had with Japan in that very first match. And that puts a lot of Germany, a lot of pressure on Germany for the Spain fixture. And I think that Luis Enrique's side is, is probably further down the timeline than Germany. I think that they have had this core group together for a bit longer and it's allowed them to kind of have a better system in place. But I think that Germany has possibly, if not even more, individual talent in attacking areas that can change the game in a flicker of an eye. Guys like Musiala, like Leroy Sané, where we've seen Champions League, just how, how good German sides have been progressing on the group stage. These players have the capabilities to, to really turn a game on a knife edge. So I think you'll end up being... Luis Enrique Spain's more more set tactics and better and, and better identity versus a German side that can really sway in both directions. 
Fantastic. Well, well, thanks so much for your insight today, Adam. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, we've got you've got this um, World Cup Talent Scout newsletter out as well. You do some great work on Twitter if you just wanted to quickly promote that. Yeah, so for, for the newsletter, I've teamed up with um, Justin Kulit from Football Talent Scout. And as the name probably alludes to, we're looking at some of the biggest talents at the World Cup. So U23 players are, are a must in that. The likes of Jamal Muziala, as I mentioned, but also some La Liga town like Takafusa Kubo, um, uh, Anzu Fati as well. So yeah, some some real La Liga town also to look out for. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at etsets, Adam Khan, etsets. And from there, you'll see all my links. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show and we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Moving on to Japan then, and a very interesting looking side with some great talent across Europe this season. I was able to speak to Japanese football expert Dan Orlowitz earlier this week and started off by asking him what he thought of Hajime Moriyasu's 26-man squad. Well, I, I think that it is a, a pretty strong squad. Uh, I think if you look at it as a whole and... The fact that we are talking about players like Furuhashi and Hatate being left out speaks volumes uh, as to Japan's depth overall. Uh, Japan is about 60 or 70 players in Europe's top divisions, uh, which is an amazing uh, shift from where they were 10, 15 years ago. So the, the, again, the fact that you have a lot of really talented players who haven't been called up and haven't even been really in the national team picture does does tell you how strong Japan has gotten. Uh, there are some frailties, some weaknesses. Uh, the defense is a little shaky. Uh, I think that's a question of, well, you have Yuto Nagatomo, Maya Yoshida, Hiroki Sakai, and these, these are older players who have been around the block a couple of times. Nagatomo will be at his fourth World Cup, and that's a first for a Japanese position player, or a, a field player, I should say. So. Will they be able to hold up against Germany and Spain? That's a really good question. And then on the other end, it's a question of, well, who's your striker? Uh, is it Asano? Is it Dyson Amida? Is it Ayase Ueda? Uh, is it Shuto Machino? Uh, who's going to score the goals? I think we have a lot of midfielders who are very capable, who are very capable of scoring goals. The question is, who's going to step up and do it? Uh, because you, you only have one chance to get this right, really. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about the midfields um, because obviously here at La Liga Lowdown, you know, we know all about Taki Kubo. He's had a fantastic season for Real Sociedad. And we're really excited to see him because, you know, in the past in La Liga, he's been playing for teams like Getafe and Mallorca. And it kind of feels like he's been put out wide, been told to do what he can do when he gets the ball. Um, and that's about it. But at Real Sociedad, he's been given a lot more responsibility. He's been a lot more involved in the build-up play in central areas and dropping deep. And there was a game against Sheriff in the um, Europa League and I was watching him and I genuinely mistook him for David Silva quite a few times just because of the positions he was taking up and the way he was playing. So we're really interested to see how he's going to play, fit in with his Japan team. But obviously there are a lot of other attacking talents. As you mentioned, there's Daichi Kamada of Eintracht Frankfurt, who looks brilliant. Takumi Minamino. I mean, is there anyone else we should, we should be looking out for potentially? I think that... For those of us who've been following Japanese football for a while, uh, the player that we really want to see do well at this World Cup is Kaoru Mitoma, uh, who's a winger at Brighton. And he's just this dynamic, talented playmaker who can do everything. He can score goals, he can set them up, he can pass, he can dribble. Uh, just amazing technique, amazing vision. 
uh, his rookie season at Kawasaki Frontale in 2020, uh, he came within a couple votes, I believe, of winning the league MVP. Uh, he lost out to Michael Lunga, a Kenyan striker who scored, I believe, 27 goals that season for Kashua Racehole. But Mitoma was robbed, in my opinion, and in many others' opinions as well. Uh, and he did all of that mostly coming off the bench as a super sub on one of the most talented Frontale squads uh, in, in that club's history. So that that told us what, what we could expect. And he's just gone on to be a really solid player, not only for, for Kawasaki, but also in Belgium uh, with Royal uh, Union. Uh, and you know now at Brighton, and he's... You know, his play has been relatively limited in terms of minutes, but he is starting to emerge and find himself. And I think he's starting to hit that peak. And if he is in really good form coming into this World Cup, he's he's only had a number of appearances for Japan and generally always as a, as a sub. But, for example, he came on against Australia uh, in their World Cup qualifier in Sydney uh, back in March and came on and game was deadlocked to nil-nil, rainy conditions and just created two goals out of nowhere and boom japan's going to the world cup so he's the man uh, i think that other players have sort of the star factor kubo especially i think he's kubo and minamino are the adidas poster boys they're the ones selling the uniforms uh but mitoma i think is really special and he's you know, if, if he does well at this World Cup, then the sky's the limit. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Brighton and Hove Albion fans will agree with you. They've been mightily impressed with, with what they've seen of him. And interesting, you mentioned Michael Alunga, actually. He spent half a season on loan at, yeah, at Girona here in Spain, and he scored a hat-trick in one of his first games for the club. So, yeah, very interesting how, how all these paths cross. Um, I mean, just looking more recently to, you know, Japan, and, and they were involved in a, a friendly against Canada on Thursday, a, a 2-1 defeat in the end. And we saw a 4-2-3-1 from uh, Moriyasu, perhaps probably the best formation to fit in all this attacking talent we've been talking about. I mean, it, it was a, obviously a defeat. Is, is the result worth looking into? Or do you think this is, you know, friendly and we'll see what happens afterwards? It, it, it was a friendly. Um, it was decidedly a Japan B or B- minus squad. Uh, there are a lot of injuries and a lot of fitness issues in this team right now. Uh you had uh, Takedo Tomiyasu, who I don't believe played at all. Uh, he is recovering from a knee thing of some sort. Al Tanaka is coming back from a knee thing. Uh, Takuma Asano has been out with the knee issue for months, I believe, since early or mid-September. And he's only recently back. I think this was last night. Well, we're recording this on Friday, but Thursday was his first, was his first game, I think, since early September. In, in any competition so we're banged up uh and the the challenge for japan is going to be getting everyone healthy before wednesday in the opener against germany um but e even mitoma uh only arrived in doha on thursday i think he had a fever earlier in the week and they kept him uh from flying as a precaution uh hidamasa morita had a calf thing so a lot of injuries, and I, I didn't even mention um, Wataru Endo's concussion, which is one of the biggest concerns. Uh, 
and you you had a lot of players who were sort of out of position. Um, Hiroki Ito was at left back for a, a hot minute. Um, Koi Takura playing central center back, which is his his position, but he's not really the starter. So if you're asking me, I mean, to, I, I've rambled on a bit, but if you're asking me if last night, Thursday, was a true indication of how well Japan can play, no. Uh, and it sort of helps uh, Japan watchers emotionally because I think that Japan tends to play at its best when expectations are really low. And it seems like every World Cup where the send-off friendly where the warm-up doesn't go well, everyone starts to get worried, and then they come out of the gate and shock everyone. I think we saw this in 2010, we saw this in 2018 against Colombia, and now there's Germany, and yeah, that's, that's a team that has some frailties in sort of similar areas as Japan. Uh, so as to what's going to happen on Wednesday, it's sort of anyone's guess. Right, well, that's exactly what we want, really, in, in a World Cup group. A bit of unpredictability. Obviously, from a Spanish perspective, we don't. We, we want it to be nice and easy and to get through. I was just going to ask, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the opportunity of an upset. Do you think Japan, obviously, there's Spain and Germany in this group, Costa Rica as well. Do you think there's a chance of an upset? Do you think they can get through? And, and more importantly, do you have any predictions for the game against Spain? Uh, there is a path. Um... It is not an impossible path. It is a very difficult path. But Japan have to find four points from somewhere. And I think the most achievable way to do that is to get a draw against Germany, get a win against Costa Rica, and keep the score respectable against Spain. Um, I, I think I don't think that you want to be in a position heading into the game against Spain where you need to get a point. You don't want to have to play from a position of desperation. Uh, but, it, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that the fact that Germany and Spain play each other in the second game, uh, you know, someone's got to drop points. And, you know, if you really think about what that means, a draw against Germany and, you know, it, let's say Japan draw with Germany and, and Germany beat Spain... All of a sudden, Spain are on, uh, you know, let's, let's say they got three against Costa Rica. So Spain's on three, Germany's on four. Japan could be on four with a win over Costa Rica in the second game. So at that point, anything could happen. Um, I think that it's possible that Japan can get out. I don't think that they will win the group, but I think that they could get in second place. Uh, I'm not going to bet any money on it. But it could happen. Like, it, it's not the most... It, it's such a knife's edge between unlikely... You know, there's, I think there's a difference between unlikely and, and plausible. Um, but in the end, it's the World Cup. So I think that's sort of where we all live for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, potential dark horses in the context of Group E. Perhaps Japan will be keeping an eye out. And obviously, we really look forward to... You know, when the two teams meet on Thursday, the 1st of December, Japan versus Spain. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to La Liga Lowdown, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to follow Dan on Twitter, make sure to do that. It's Dan Orlowitz, and he yeah provides some fantastic insight on Japanese football. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good, good luck, I guess. 
So that just about wraps up today's special episode. I hope you enjoyed plenty of insight from our Spanish, German and Japanese football experts ahead of a big kickoff in Qatar. With plenty more in Costa Rica to come in the coming days and on our podcast on Monday. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, that's at La Liga Lowdown, for all the breaking news, insight and coverage. And also be sure to subscribe to our Substack, so that's llonline.substack.com for daily articles and newsletters throughout the World Cup and beyond. I've been Tom Harris and thanks so much for listening.